Welcome to Break Bias. I'm your host, Brad Kramer. It's the 61st episode, and I'm here after the Austrian Grand Prix a day late, but it's still good to be back. The second of six sprint weekends in F1 this weekend. It didn't really change who is sitting on the top step, but as we continue to see in 2023, everything behind is a complete unknown. But first, before I get into all of that, a quick reminder to check out that link tree in the description, guys. It has links to pages like all the platforms you can find this podcast, my YouTube channel, Breakbys Twitter, TikTok. Um, it also has my email address if you'd like to contact me directly, as well as my personal Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. So now, let's talk about the action at the Red Bull Ring. First and foremost, I think off the top, we have to address um, the passing in the racing community that happened recently. Um, Delano Van Hoffman, I believe I'm saying that correctly. Uh, he was a racer in the Formula Regional European Championship by Alpine, otherwise known as Freca. I think most people know it better as. Um, it's basically a different sort of regional F3 championship. Um, and they were racing at Spa this weekend or this past weekend, um, and he passed away at the exact same corner that uh, we lost Antoine Hubert at in 2019. Plenty of the drivers were asked about it and showed their support. There was moments of silence this weekend for him, and, uh, you know, like F1 is racing there at the end of the month, and I think, you know, the drivers and teams have been pretty vocal about wanting changes to that section of the track and I think that's probably why Spa is at risk of losing its spot on the calendar there has been work done to that corner but they're just limited in uh, um, in what they can do and they're trying but then here we are in 2023 and we lose another young driver I think only 18 years old um that's the risks of racing, but nonetheless, it's an absolute tragedy. And with the technology that we have nowadays, even in you know a smaller racing series like Freca, kids shouldn't be dying, right? So um, obviously, Spa needs to look at maybe it, no one should be racing there for a few years. I know some people would hate that until they can sort out something. It's the fact that when people go off there that they bounce back onto the track. I actually haven't seen any videos or, um, you know, really analyze how this incident happened, but that's what happened to Antoine. And I can only imagine that's what happened to Delano. Um, because really the, the cars are pretty safe enough to like take shunts on their own, but it's when cars are crashing into them at such high speeds, they're not built for you know 200 kilometers an hour collisions um into like the side of the of the monocoque so um i'm i'm completely speculating here but yeah that's why spa is so dangerous it's that bouncing back onto the track where you know the more confident you are through that section the fact like you know you're trying to go flat out i mean i don't know if freca cars can go flat out but um the point still stands. They're trying to go as fast as they possibly can. It's basically like a kink in a straight um, for F1 cars now. Um, so, yeah, I think Spa only has one year left in their contract. And then legitimately, if we don't have a good sprint race there coming in a few weeks, it's just at the end of the month. Um, 
it could be at serious risk. But speaking of losing their spot on the calendar, though, segueing into the action that took place in F1 this weekend at the Red Bull Ring, that circuit will be a fixture for the F1 circus until at least 2030, which I think is great news. Um, maybe not for you know people that are sick of Max Verstappen winning because he just seems to absolutely dominate this track, doesn't he? So six more years of Max Verstappen dominance, Formula One has signed up for. Um, but in, in in all honesty, I think everyone is pretty happy to see Austria on the calendar. Beautiful venue, great track, um, and even if you're not a Red Bull fan, I mean you gotta you gotta love this place. Um, just short and quick so yeah let's uh get straight into it i think i am gonna stick with my format guys um for at least the time being unless i get through a few more reviews and i do want to go back to what i was doing before but i think i'm going to give this one a fair shot so instead again of doing everything chronologically it's the last time i'll you know make a, a note of the change of format the next review podcast i'll just go straight into it um, so not, not doing things chronologically anymore. We're just going to get straight into, um, I think what are some of the most interesting talking points of the entire weekend? Last week I started with Red Bull this week. I'm starting with Red Bull again. Max Verstappen wins the Grand Prix. What would have been by about 25 seconds, probably he led every session of the entire race weekend. Um, and honestly, was a few laps led by Charles Leclerc away from another Grand Slam. Red Bull and Max Verstappen are just different right now. There is really no other way to put it. Um, they're built different because <laughs> there is gremlins and all these other top cars in Aston Martin, Mercedes, Ferrari, which I will get into all of them momentarily. Um, but just to talk a little bit about Max first, you know, Besides that little tangle with Perez he had in the sprint, it was pretty much smooth sailing for the Dutchman. I mean, in qualifying, it never looked in doubt. Um, The race was never in doubt. Um, Even with Ferrari on like a bit of a different strategy, no one really believed that uh, the tire offset was going to, you know, make any sort of difference. For Ferrari, um, when Leclerc pitted first, he was starting to make up time on Max, which I think is somewhat of um, a good look. But Tardeg was just so high here that I think he probably should have been gaining a lot more time because as soon as Max came in for his fresh tires, he caught up to Leclerc extremely fast and then basically just drove off into the distance and race was over. Um, but I think that... Looking at the the incident with Perez in the sprint, um, they had a discussion after after the sprint race there between uh, Perez and, and Max did, of course. And my thoughts on it were that Perez definitely did push him onto the grass and was a little naughty, especially to do that to your teammate. Is um, I understand why Max would be angry. It's no surprise that, you know, Max just absolutely sent it into turn three. I do think that he actually didn't mean to push him off completely the way he did, but he went in knowing that, you know, I'm taking this corner away from Checo. Um, And from there, basically got him down into turn four. He still got the better exit. Checo had to go off. And the tires would have got super cold, especially, too, from going off there. What I thought was a massive disappointment from that – little incident is because if Lando 
actually recognized that Max was going to take him out of the corner. It would have been him actually getting through probably into the lead instead of, I think it was Hulkenberg who got up until like P2 or P3. Yeah, I think it was P2. It was P2. Yeah. So Lando actually arguably could have got into the lead if he didn't go in a little too deep and run into the back of of Max. So I think that's honestly my biggest takeaway from it is like what a shame that is because Lando had good pace. The McLaren is good in the wet. It would have been very interesting to see how he could have um, fared up at the top where we know the Haas is quick at the beginning of the stint and then it just completely falls off. Um, I'm going to be getting to Haas as well. I'm actually kind of excited to talk about them. Um, But looking at Red Bull more as a whole on the weekend, um, Perez's performance was pretty good in the race, was decent in the sprint, um, again with another quality mistake. All three of his qualifying laps in Q2 deleted. That is... Um, uh, it's not unforgivable, like in Monaco Q1, but it's also like, again, he's in a Red Bull. Just if if you have to lose a couple tenths, you he still would have made it through just to make sure that he's uh, between the white lines. I know that's easier said than done, but again, it's he hasn't been in Q3 since Miami. That seems like ages ago, and for the car that he's in, get into Q3. I mean. We would still be calling Perez a massive disappointment if he was qualifying P7 every race, and he's not even getting into Q3. So, yeah, I think that he he has to get into Q3 in in Silverstone. He has to. If he does it again, there is some serious, serious question marks um, about just Perez's. I feel like it's more of like a mental thing than it actually is his pace. I know qualifying's never really been his forte, but... That is just, it, it's more, that's not a just a coincidence. You know, some of it has been a little bit unlucky, but man, to be in a Red Bull and not be in Q3 since Miami, how many races is that in a row now? Like five, six? That would be absurd. So he has to get into Q3 in Silverstone, even if it is in extreme wet conditions. Just get in there, man. Come on. You got this, Checo. Um, but yeah, as I said, the track limits were obviously probably the biggest talking point of the entire weekend oh actually before I get into the track limits I do want to just quickly make note too of Max Verstappen going for the fastest lap at the end five and a half seconds I think is a roughly what he won by in the end um, with 25 seconds he if a little bit of a slow stop he is right there with Charles Leclerc coming out of the pits for a couple laps left um, of course, Red Bull absolutely nailed the pit stop. And then Max Verstappen also weaved his entire outlap to get heat into the tires and just absolutely blitzed the final lap and still won by, like I said, five and a half seconds. Just a savage play. He took it away from Checo too. Red Bull didn't even want to do it. And they were like, or not they, Max was like, I'm coming in. I want to get it. And they're like, okay, I guess we're doing what you want to do. So it, it really just shows that Max is just absolutely toying with the competition. He is on another level. And uh, he even said in a post-race press conference with uh, like the official F1 one, um, Tom Clarkson asked him, does the fastest lap point mean more to you than just the one point? And he said, maybe. So the answer is yes. Um, he didn't elaborate on that, but I could just imagine it's mental game against Checo. It's just showing the world 
how good he is. I'm not sure what it is, but it means more to him than just the one point, apparently. Um, and if he had led every lap, that would have been another grand slam for Max. It wasn't, but still just an absolutely outstanding, dominant performance. And I feel like he's even better than he was last year. Honestly, the way he's performing this year is insane. He is not putting a single foot wrong, and I feel like that is mostly down to because we're not even seeing his true potential, and that is scary. Now, track limits. Last year, I put track limits in the title of my Austria Review podcast because qualifying was such an issue with the track limits, and I wouldn't say it was any different this year. There were still a lot of lap times deleted, but the race... I don't remember the race being as whack as it was this year. I mean, this year's race was absurd. It, it didn't happen, like, all these lap time deletions and, and black and white flags and whatever. That didn't happen in the sprint because of the wet conditions. And going out onto uh, the white lines, even, is not what the drivers are trying to do. They're, they would lose grip out there and arguably even spin, so... That is why we didn't see it in the sprint, but then we get the dry and we get all these warnings and all these black and white flags. And throughout the race, still, plenty of people got penalized. Plenty of people saw black and white flags. Tons of people got warnings. Plenty of people were complaining on the radio. Of course, Lando and Lewis were kind of the, some of the most vocal ones. And then we thought that was it. You know, we get the race results. Um, some drivers, you know, didn't lost positions because of their time penalties some it didn't matter and then a couple hours after the race maybe not even a couple hours we see that Aston Martin is protesting the results of the race and that's not exactly common in Formula One I wouldn't say it's extremely rare it happens from time to time but I didn't I don't remember a protest ever being about track limits and the more information that came out about this protest was just, it was the more mind-boggling it became. Apparently, over 1,200 laps needed to be questioned for infringement. And that's not saying, oh, there was 1,200 like moments, like that would have taken forever for the stewards. But that is my point. The stewards, I don't know how many there are, but still, 1,200 is an absurd amount of laps that need to be looked at. There's, of course, no way that a steward team can figure that out live and see who got all these violations and who needs the penalties. So I have don't blame the FIA actually at all here. And I know that is uh, everyone's favorite um, body or entity to, to criticize, but that that's not their fault. The, the fault is just what's in the rules and the track itself. And... I feel like the rules definitely could use a change, but at the same time, with it being such a tight, fast right-hander with so much runoff on the exit there, that is the biggest issue. They, they It's been talked about, I'm, I'm not making up any new ideas here, it's been talked about plenty of times, putting grass or gravel or just some sort of sausage curb or something that deters the drivers from running out wide, but man, does it need to happen because this just can't go on like this. We can't be, it, it kind of ruins the, the spectating um, element to it. it. For all the fans, it sucks because we watch the race and we're like, oh, you know, um, so-and-so finished P6. And then after the race, they get two 
penalties, a five and a 10 second, and they fall down to P9. It's like, wait, when did that happen? It's the race result at the end, ideally should always be the race result. It shouldn't be changing hours after the fact. So, of course, I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit. The Aston Martin protest was deemed admissible, and about 85 laps at the in the end were determined um, to be, you know, they have violations. So 85 laps were deleted, and that gave eight drivers penalties and affecting multiple point scoring positions, thankfully not the podium. Um, so that remained unchanged, but we had two drivers promoted in the top six and one demoted. Um, and a couple other at the in the bottom point scoring positions, kind of swapping positions. That is still just absurd. So, yeah, I mean, I don't really know how much else I could say about this. I think it's pretty clear. The rule, I feel like, should be the rule. Um, you know, you could make it different from race weekend to race weekend. You know, in Austria, maybe they're allowed to run off a little bit more. Maybe in Austria, it's even stricter. I don't know. Um, I don't think stricter would probably be the, the play. Cause in qualifying, I think it's fine. But in the race, they're drifting off like ever so slightly. So it's like maybe there's some sort of margin that they could give them in the race. But then that just gets abused. So I really feel like the rule book is not – it's maybe 5%, 10% of the issue. 90% of the issue is the track. There just needs to be a deterrent on the outside there. Like think of – um. I believe Barcelona, maybe I'm wrong here, but I believe Barcelona has gravel. They have two quick right turns onto the main straight. It's similar in that sense now. And they have gravel on the exit, so they can't just run stupid wide. I think, I do think Spain is a bit of a different line. So it's it's not a perfect comparison, but it's very similar. Um, Spain, I think, is an easier corner to take than Austria. Austria's final corner is a bit tricky. But anyway, point is, just put something there. The drivers will, um, you know, they're not going to go out there because it's going to make them slower. Running wide makes them faster. That's the issue. So, yeah, I think that's pretty much all I can say on on that point. I, I've, I've also heard some people say, like, if they did the race over again, would the drivers have ran wide? Honestly, I don't think they're doing it completely on purpose. I think there is a bit of... Um, um, like I, someone like Lewis, I feel like is experienced. He knows he's been able to get away with running wide in the past. And I feel like he lets the car drift out a little bit to keep up the speed. Some, I also feel like are just driving within the limits of their car. They're trying to go fast, but then they just get a bunch of understeer and they happen to run wide. So I feel like it's, it's a bit of both, but anyway, yeah, I'll say it for the millionth time. Just something needs to be there. So the sprint weekend, it was here in Austria for the second year running, and I think that was a great call. Um, I think if they plan on having six sprint weekends on a race calendar, that you know Brazil has been a sprint weekend every single year. I think Austria, they found another track to just keep as a sprint every single year. It's it's a great venue for it. The sprint was phenomenal. There was battles all around from lap one to the checkered flag. Now, do I think that was just because the sprints are great and Austria is great? Not completely. I think a lot of it came down to the changing conditions and the fact that there was varying strategies. That is the key one. Many people have been wanting to bring in a mandatory pit stop to the sprints. I think now 
might be the time for F1 to trial it. They've been trialing other sort of rules for qualifying and whatnot. The only issue I see with bringing in a mandatory pit stop with the sprint is F1's kind of sustainability goals. It kind of wastes a set of tires. So that I do get to an extent. Um, But, you know, F1 teams have tires ready for the sprint in case they do have to pit, of course. Like, it's not like they're just waiting there being like, oh, well, I hope we don't have to pit. So the tires are there. Um, I don't know how many tires are unused, and I actually don't really know the process of, like, what happens to the tires that don't get used and whether they get reused. I I imagine they do. That would be pretty silly if they didn't. Anyway, point is, I do think that a mandatory pit stop would help the sprint race quite a bit, Um, and there would be less managing. It would be a lot of just full-on racing. It's just I also don't really know if – Pirelli has the tires, you know, the way they've built the tires, I'm not sure if it would work because the tires are just too durable. So, yeah, I think it would be still interesting, though, because maybe we'd see people just run out their entire stint and pin on the last lap. Maybe some people just pull in on the on the first lap. You're in P20, let's just pull in on the first lap, get in clean air, and we can easily run to the end of the race. I doubt that would be the quickest strategy, but it would be interesting from that point of view. Um and it would certainly be interesting for a team like Haas because they definitely need a mandatory pit stop in a sprint weekend or in a sprint race, sorry. Um, because man, they are actually fast, but they just have absolutely no race pace because their tire tag is so bad. It's so bad. You know, I, full props to them for the strategy with Hulkenberg in the sprint and also props to Hulkenberg for another superb qualifying. I feel like he's been in more Q3s than Perez. I'm not even saying I feel like that. I'm pretty sure that is fact, which is absurd. Um, So great job with them. They still secured three points this weekend after having probably by far one of the worst races for any team. Um, Like Magnussen was so far off the pace and Hulkenberg, of course, DNF'd. He was probably set for a P17, 18, 19 finish anyway. The dag was so high here, and it just absolutely exposed their car. Um, so to come away at the weekend for, uh, with three points because of that brilliant strategy, honestly, while I was watching it, Hulkenberg was in like fifth and really getting caught by the Astons, maybe fourth. And I was like, what are they doing? They're like, they're they're putting on the dries and giving up track position. I was like, are they nuts? But it was actually the perfect time. They were, I think, the second team to bring it, bring someone in. Maybe, maybe not the second. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm wrong there. I know George was first, um, but still, it was early. I thought they had completely blown a chance for points, and little did I know if they stayed out, they were not scoring points. So, uh, gutsy but brilliant call from them. Um, but yeah, I, I, the the form of Nico Hulkenberg just has me thinking like. Remember when this was a debate of whether or not to keep Mick Schumacher or bring Nico in? I was on the fence, admittedly, but I think I did kind of lean towards like, well, Haas just needs a, someone who is going to like just get the most out of the car on most weekends, just be solid and score points. They don't need someone who's going to be on the podium. You know, the criticism of Nico on the podium is silly, especially when he's driving for a team like Haas. They're goal isn't really to finish on the podium it's to grab points and slowly work their way up in the sport I think this is showing that they've absolutely made the right decision if they had Mick right now they'd arguably have zero points from that car and they would be in ninth 
right now, and they're actually in seventh. I'll get into the standings as usual soon. But I think that's all I have to say on Haas. Um, I think the next team to talk about is who was P2 on the podium with the Red Bulls, and that was Ferrari with Charles Leclerc. He was P2 on the road, finished P2. Sainz was P4 on the road, but finished P6 because of a 10-second race penalty or 10-second penalty um, after the race. Um, I think this was overall just. Uh, a positive weekend for Ferrari. I think they may have been flattered a little bit by Aston Martin and Mercedes struggles, another two teams that I will be getting into. Um, but they have to be looking forward to Silverstone, another track that they have fared well at after, you know, not really necessarily being close to Red Bull, but maybe taking a step ahead of Mercedes and Aston Martin. I do think this kind of trio battle is going to be quite track-specific, but I think maybe all three could be strong at Silverstone. I just think Red Bull is also going to be absolutely mighty. So we we still have a preview to get to, so I don't want to get too far ahead of myself on that front as well. So I just want to talk about two main things, and the first one being just quickly, what Sainz did in Q1 was incredible. Not a lot of people thought he was actually going to get out and he was going to have to start the Grand Prix from the back and he just goes out he has one lap to do it in kind of damp conditions and absolutely nails it a blinder to go up to the top of the session that is incredible to top the timings is sensational just to get into that top 15 was all he needed to do and that in and of itself would have been somewhat impressive to to go to the top above max verstappen insane so hats off to science who i think had pretty good pace here and that kind of is the other thing I wanted to mention is even though Leclerc, P2, he qualified ahead of signs um, by one position, two positions um, for the race. And that was the difference. And that's why he finished P2. I really think signs actually had the better pace. The track limit violation obviously didn't help either. If Leclerc got a violation, he would have uh, fallen down to P3. So... Yeah, they uh, kind of screwed signs on the strategy a little bit with the double stack. Um, he uh, fell, fell back into a bit more traffic as well, so that's kind of where the race time um, ended up making the difference. But pace-wise, signs was equal, if not faster, than Leclerc. So he just qualifies a little bit better, and he's arguably up in P2. And we're talking about one of the great um, performances of his season. Um, so unfortunate for him but I think this has got to be positive because at the beginning of this season and most of last season there was a massive discussion about signs and just how good Leclerc is and then how far off signs um, is from Leclerc so great job from Ferrari as a whole even Leclerc to you know not really be completely on the pace this weekend but convert it into a p2 all around tidy work from Ferrari back-to-back races Let's see what they can do in Silverstone because even though they won with signs, it was a bit of a mess last year, and I had quite the rant, I remember. Um, so, yeah, after the podium in P4, it was Lando Norris with McLaren. I mean, round of applause for McLaren. That major upgrade is 50% of their major upgrade they brought to Austria um Lando's always good here McLaren's always good here but the fact that they were faster just outright than Mercedes with with of course Lando's car 
is extremely encouraging. There are still questions about any sort of track specificness, um, but to make the comparison of Lando versus Oscar, yes, I do believe Lando is the quicker driver. I actually don't think the gap between Lando and Oscar is as big as it was between Lando and, and Daniel, but it is a different year. The midfield's tighter, so things just optically can look different because of that. Um, and also Lando, I feel like, actually hasn't had that great of a season, too. So there is that point as well. But still, Oscar was nowhere in this race. And that's probably where Lando would have been um, had he still had the old spec. So this new spec is definitely a positive step forward. Again, questions about track specificness and whether or not they were flattered by Aston and Mercedes struggling. Um, so not much else to talk about in terms of McLaren. A huge haul of points. They could be in with a battle, um, in for a battle with Alpine again, which would be massively positive for them. So, I think there's no really negatives to take away from this weekend. I think they just have to be looking forward to see what Oscar can do here, and then what they can do at some of these next couple tracks, and see if they can keep this going, bring more of those parts. And, you know, everyone is looking at Aston Martin and seeing what they did at the beginning of the season and thinking, why can't we do that? Why can't we make that huge jump and just be faster than Mercedes and Ferrari? So that's why it's even more concerning to see the performance of especially Mercedes. But Aston Martin, too. I mean, what was that from them? Aston was completely anonymous in that race. Um the Grand Prix, I should say, because in the sprint, they were actually going at each other. Stroll finished ahead of Alonso, and he was trying to say on the radio, let's not fight, let's chase down. I believe it was Hulkenberg at the time, and then at the end of the race, I think there was really no one to fight for, so uh, no position to fight for, so Alonso was like, well, screw it, I'm going to go. Last couple laps was actually pretty epic between them, but Stroll did stay ahead, so, I mean, hats off to Stroll, I guess, but it definitely looked like Alonso was the quicker driver. But yeah, in the race, just they were barely even on the television. They were nowhere. They did secure a double points finish, but it was a rather, you know, underwhelming P5 and P9. Um, so very puzzling. I thought they would be a lot better. I even threw, I mean, I didn't put down money on it, but my long shot of the week was an Alonso victory. I, I really thought that this could be a close weekend between Ferrari, Mercedes, Aston, and Red Bull. Like, I thought all four of them would actually be strong here and two of them massively disappointed and then Red Bull was just sensational miles and miles up the road which I think um, hopefully is a bit of track specific hopefully it's a little bit about um, you know not having a lot of practice these are still relatively new concepts for all three of those teams behind Red Bull Red Bull knows exactly what they have that one practice session is an advantage for them for sure so hopefully all those things are what led to the dominance that we saw this weekend. I'm really hoping that Aston and Merck are going to be better in Silverstone. I do expect them to be. Um, and speaking of expectations, just Mercedes was actually talking up their chances in Austria. They were even confident enough to say that Silverstone, they were going to be challenging Red Bull. Um, so we'll see. They do have a huge, they're basically their last huge upgrade of the season coming to Silverstone. It's not their last one. But it's the, it's the biggest one. It's even bigger than Monaco, apparently. So that is exciting. But this was a bit of a concerning race leading into something like that because 
it was all this talk about positivity, and then they come here, and they were pretty much nowhere. You know, Toto coming on the radio just telling Lewis that the car is bad, just freaking drive it because he was complaining about all the track limits thing that I've kind of mentioned already. But, yeah, really, um, what's the word, just kind of deflating for a Mercedes fan. I, I was watching the race, and I'm seeing Lewis just completely fall off the pace and Lando, like, keeping up with him. And I'm like, oh, my God, this is a nightmare. This This is what wakes me up in a sweat because <laughs> like that was just a tough tough thing to see and a tough pill to swallow um but yeah i mean in terms of the track limits thing though too with hamilton what did he have like six seven warnings russell was one of the only two drivers alongside Zhou Guan Yu to have zero warnings i do think hamilton was faster but maybe that was all the difference was was hamilton was just pushing his luck with the track limits while Russell was just keeping it between the lines. And in the end, Russell moved up. Yeah, he moved up from P11 to P8, and Lewis fell from P5, I think, to P9. So I would say the best way to go about it is to follow the rules. Um, And I guess the final note here for Mercedes is just with this difficult weekend and more question marks around Mercedes' capability to, you know, make a title-challenging car, Lewis's contract still, it's been talked about before that it's going to be days away, and this was like a month ago, still not signed, still no, you know, word about it being close. I just don't know if Lewis is really holding out to see this Silverstone upgrade. Let's see what he can do here. I don't know. I, I, I would be shocked to see him go anywhere or leave the sport, but it's just like, what's the holdup? So I do think there is probably just something specific in there that they really want to work out. And I think that's kind of what they've been alluding to. They as in Toto and, you know, members of Mercedes. So we'll see. It's just kind of one thing to keep an eye on because it is kind of strange. Um, so, yeah, let's get into the result. Well, actually, another thing. Did anyone see the pre-race jetpack guy? I mean, he absolutely wiped out. He's, like, flying in the air on, like, a jetpack, and I think, like, one of his, like, burners, like, blew out, and he fell. Like, it was scary, and then he got up and gave the crowd a thumbs up. Absolute crazy scenes. But anyway, if you haven't seen it, look up, like, jetpack guy Austria on Twitter, and I guarantee you'll find it. Anyway, let's get into the results. Max Verstappen, P1. That is his fifth victory in a row, seventh of the season. P2, Charles Leclerc. P3, Sergio Perez back on the podium, recovering from 15th. Positive weekend from him. Lando Norris with a stellar P4, followed by Fernando Alonso in P5. Then it was Carlos in P6 after getting demoted two positions after the race. P7 was George Russell, kind of rather anonymous, um, but still beat his teammate who finished P8 after his post-race penalty. P9 was Lance Stroll for a second race in a row, at least he's getting in the points, I guess, with the final P10 point going to Pierre Gasly. Although, even though Gasly was the one to score in the race, it was actually Ocon who scored more points this weekend with his two in the sprint, so... Mercedes also scored zero in the sprint, guys. Just saying. Pretty horrendous weekend from them. Driver standings now. Top 10. Max Verstappen at 229 has a very comfortable lead above Sergio Perez at 148. Then it's Fernando Alonso with 131 points. 
followed by Lewis Hamilton, who's kind of fallen adrift from Alonso a little bit after this weekend with 106. Then it's Carlos Sainz. He is 10 points ahead of both Charles Leclerc and George Russell. They're even on points. Leclerc is ahead on countback. George Russell does not have a P2. Then it's a bit of a gap to Lance Stroll, who's at 44. And then kind of crazy, Esteban Ocon, only 13 points behind Lance Stroll. Still, from an Alpine to an Aston Martin, 13 points should be a larger margin. Lando Norris now up into the top 10. Um, He replaces Pierre Gasly, and he is up by 8 points now after securing 12 this weekend. Half of Lando's points this season have came from the Austrian Grand Prix. Now looking at the constructors, Red Bull, 377 points. That is a whopping 199 points ahead of Mercedes at 178. Aston Martin, only three points behind them at 175. Ferrari is... Kind of closing the gap now. They are kind of in that fight for P2 at 154 points. So that is only 21 behind Aston Martin. That can be easily done in one race weekend. Just a little note here. Max Verstappen alone at 229 would be outscoring Mercedes, Aston Martin, and Ferrari. He would be leading the Constructors' Championship if if Red Bull was a one-car team. That is kind of insane. Now, Alpine, they are significantly behind Ferrari, and I wouldn't even say comfortably in P5 anymore. They're at 47. McLaren in P6 at 29. That fight is absolutely on if McLaren have um, a level car with Alpine now, and if they can kind of dominate the midfield to an extent or kind of clear themselves from the rest of the midfield and score those bottom-feeding points positions more often, then it makes the race even closer because the kind of four teams behind like Haas at 11 Alfa Romeo at 9 Williams at 7 and Alfa Tauri at 2 Alfa Tauri is already kind of behind the eight ball and they have to hope for kind of a miracle race weekend where they just score one big chunk of points like grabbing a P6 where they score eight points and all of a sudden now they're at 10 points ahead of Alfa and Williams you know what I mean that was basically exactly what happened to Williams with that P7 finish with Albon grabbing that six points now they're right up there it's, it's all about just scoring that one big chunk of points and trying to chip away with some P10s, but that's going to be really difficult week to week. So it is kind of a luck thing, and that's why it's been discussed plenty of times by people. Should we be you know extending the points or just changing the format so it at least goes to like P12? Because think of all those times Sonoda could have scored this, this year with his P11s. But anyway, prize to Monson Surprise, before I quickly get into the British preview, the British preview. I, I mean, I always call it Silverstone. I, I never call it British Grand Prix or the race in Britain. I don't know. It sounds kind of strange. It's always just Silverstone to me. But anyway, the prize has to go to McLaren. I mean, I think I've said all there is to be said about it. It's just an, an incredibly encouraging weekend, a great performance from Lando. The fact that they went from just really just looking down and, um, kind of having probably one of the most disappointing seasons besides maybe Mercedes and Ferrari to come out in this weekend, look like they're right back in that fight with Alpine like they were last year um, and potentially even better. I mean, Alpine has only shown pace like this in Australia maybe um, and they didn't even convert that, of course, because of their horrible kind of mishap during the safety car. 
McLaren, I think, operationally is better than Alpine. So if they have the, the car to challenge them now, I would arguably back them to finish P5, which would be um, a massive, massive improvement from where they started the season. So hats off to them and to Lando. Demise has to be Mercedes to talk up your ex, uh, your chances at this weekend and then have a performance like that. That's a stinker. Um, I don't think all is is done for them. You know, uh, all hope's not lost, I guess is what I'm trying to say. I think this upgrade coming to Silverstone um, could completely change their fortune if they uh, are as optimistic about it as, or if it works as well as, as their optimism, um, I guess. If things could go really well for them really soon so yeah all hope's not lost but just an absolute stinker of a weekend and they'll want to be putting this in the rear view mirror as soon as possible and then the surprise alpine my bold prediction was that they're gonna have a strong weekend i like how Ocon drives this track usually but he was the most shocking person he had the most track limit violations he had like 35 seconds added on to his post-race time he was out of the points anyway so just a bad weekend from alpine from him and the track limits was just shocking. And Gasly even had, I think, 15 seconds added on to his race time. Still scored points, though, thankfully. Um, but they also have an upgrade coming to Silverstone. We'll see. I imagine they'll be a little bit better there. But the competition's going to be fierce. So good luck to Alpine. Now let's preview the British Grand Prix. Well, guys, um, the preview of the British Grand Prix is going to be a little brief, I, I must say. I absolutely love this track. It is top two. I think Silverstone and Interlagos have to be the top two. You can have other little favorites, like I, I'm a huge fan of Coda, but it's undeniable. The best races happen on those two tracks, Silverstone being one of them. We had a phenomenal race last year where Sainz won his first Grand Prix. I do think... There is an element that a lot of people forget, and it was the fact that Max Verstappen had that damage to his car. Had that not happened, I think he would have probably cruised to a victory. He looked really quick at the beginning and was also sensational in qualifying um, before he had that spin, which led to uh, the pole position four signs. Um, and also that late safety car just led to that insane racing at the end. We had the stop inventing uh, call from, from signs after Ferrari asked him to, like, back up the pack so Leclerc could win. They they blew it with the strategy, and we also had through goes Hamilton, and the absolutely insane move from Leclerc on the outside of Hamilton with the old hards. Just absurd stuff, so hopefully even if Max drives off into the distance, we get some great stuff from the midfield. I have no doubt that even if the pecking order isn't exactly what we're hoping it will be in, in Silverstone, or at least... Um, the competition i do feel like no matter where this is on or the battles are um going on in the field whether it's between a Haas and a williams or it is between you know mercedes ferrari and aston the racing is going to be fantastic so tune in to the british grand prix for sure if you're going to tune into any race this season because even in the least competitive seasons the british grand prix somehow always delivers so my prediction for qualifying, I do have Max on pole, but I'm going to say it's followed by George Russell on the front row with him, and then another Red Bull, Mercedes, second row, Paris, and Hamilton. 
for the race, I'm going to go absolutely wild here because it's the British Grand Prix and I want to get everyone's hopes up and not, you know, think about this season as just such an absolute um, downer. So Russell gets a great start, takes the lead. He and Max come together. Russell gets a penalty. Max is out of the race. Perez goes on to win it from Hamilton to Claire, taking P3. So absolutely absurd. Red Bull still wins the race with Perez. I think they're going to be really quick here. But it won't be Max Verstappen. He will be out of the race on lap one. Just a crazy bold prediction. So I don't really know if I need to do a bold prediction because that is just absurd. But for my bold prediction, I guess I'll just say Lando um, has another great race and actually beats Fernando Alonso. How about that? McLaren. Um, another great one, and Alonso uh, and Aston Martin are starting to scratch their heads a little bit about where they where their pace went. Just just an absolute bold one. I don't think that's going to happen. I think Aston Martin will be back in Silverstone. So now Brad's bets ride the bias every weekend, guys, because last weekend was a decent one. I do think the big mistake was the minus 160 bet for Alonso podium. That, of course, did not happen. So if you went... Big on that one because I called it basically a guarantee. That was a, a loss for you. Um, plus 300 for one of the Hasses to finish in the points was optimistic. They did in the sprint, I just think. I did say for the Grand Prix, not for the sprint. Um, so if you had the foresight to be like, well, Haas might score on the sprint, maybe not the race, then props to you. Um, I'm not even sure if you can bet on that, though. I haven't seen anything for points, finishes, and sprints, but... Um, I wouldn't say the apps that I use are great. So um, between 5 and 10 seconds was a win. It should not have been. It was not for the reason that I thought it was going to be between 5 and 10 seconds. But it did happen because of that late pit stop for Max Verstappen to go to fastest lap. So I did actually bet on that one. So that was pure luck for me. Um, I'm happy about that. And then, of course, minus 130 for Max Pohl and victory. That um, was actually odds that I only got on Monday and I was lucky enough to bet on that one because then when I checked again it was like minus 250 and I was like was this a mistake like what the hell happened here so odds are you guys didn't get that one and I do apologize for that because I didn't edit the podcast or anything um, but if you were lucky enough to get that for minus 130 that was an absolute bargain and of course the long shot for Alonso winning did not happen so this week I got Leclerc on the podium, plus 120. I like where Ferrari's heading. I think Leclerc does well here, and I think Ferrari overall does well here. So all those things put together with some question marks about Mercedes and Aston Martin, I think look good for Ferrari. Um, One leader of the race for plus 225. I think Max Verstappen likely leads every single lap of the race. I think he's going to be that dominant here. You could also just go Grand Slam as well, but... There is that is always tricky with fastest lap and whatnot. Um, so just keep that in mind. Minus one twenty for both Red Bulls to podium. I think Perez is back on track. I think he's going to be back on the podium. It's at least it's very likely. So for minus one twenty, not bad at all. Plus one fifty for Alex Albon to score in the points. I don't love this one to be honest. I do think this is a bit of a tricky betting weekend. I was looking around for some good ones and I do think if you want to bet on anyone for points finish I do think this is probably your best odds it's such a ripoff to bet on um, anyone from the top teams to score on the points like ridiculous ripoff 
Um, so you basically have to be on it and think, okay, which midfield team has a good chance to score? I do actually think Williams could be could be somewhat strong here. I don't love it though. For only plus one fifty, he should have um, longer odds than that. So don't blame me if you don't like that one. But I do actually somewhat like Williams here. And then I'm going to say over 1.5 for safety car and virtual safety car. I know I've been hammering unders mostly this season, but chaos happens at Silverstone. So for plus 150, I don't mind taking kind of the underdog of the over-under here. And then the long shot, I'm going to say plus 2,000 for Hulkenberg to be dead last. Um, You know, he did just have a retirement, which I think usually isn't great meaning like he probably will have better reliability next race, and that is always a worry. But if they all do finish the race, I think the DAG just going to kill the Haas. Hulkenberg for plus 2,000. It is crazy odds for you know a, a team that absolutely chews through their, through their tires. So, again, the long shots most of the time aren't going to hit, but just for fun, I always throw them out there if you guys really just want to lose your money. <laughs> so, anyway... That's going to do it for episode 61 of Break Bias. I'm your host, Brad Kramer, and I'll be back with episode 62 Monday. Yes, actually Monday, not Tuesday, to review the British Grand Prix. Thank God Silverstone is back. This is F1 at its finest. So let's all look forward to what should be a fantastic race at Silverstone. Goodbye.